It is hard to step into a new thing when you miss the old thing. From the days of his baptism, Jesus' ministry across the Holy Land had as much to do with proximity to his physical body as anything else. The miracles happened around him. The teachings happened around him. He sent the disciples out two by two, but we don't hear stories of those ministries. Acts in the letters of Paul and Peter and John do not go into the details about what happened when the 70 went out. We know they went out, but we don't hear about it. And then something changes. Holy Week happens. Jesus tells his disciples again and again that everything is going to change, but it is kind of like talking to a couple who are about to have their first child. And you can tell them life is going to be different. They can, they can hear you and listen to you and respect you and think to themselves, life is going to be different. I know it's going to be different, but it still doesn't prepare them for the difference a new baby brings. While he was ministering and calling folks, Jesus took care of all the things. He took care of where to go, who to talk to, what to do, what to say. The disciples listened and tried their best, but at the end of the day, the buck stopped with Jesus, not them. Then he is arrested. Then he is tried. Then he is killed. We have now arrived at last Saturday, at Holy Saturday, the day of the silence of God. There are two times in his life, that the word of God, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, the one spoken of in the beginning of the gospel of John, so poetically, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There are two times when this word did not speak. After his birth, in his infancy, when he humbled himself first, not to death, but to childhood. And then, the second is last week, Holy Saturday. But I want us to stay in the minds of the disciples. Imagine we have been with him. We, have did, we did the things. We laid down the nets and the hose and the shovels and the needles. And we followed him to what we thought would be the victorious celebration only to be dreadfully disappointed on a Friday afternoon. So now it is all for nothing, it seems. He said he, said he would return, but he died. And, and people just don't come back from the dead. It is, it is the Sabbath, so folks aren't leaving town yet. They're not going anywhere. They're not doing work. James and Peter and Matthew and Thomas and the others are going through their prayers and going through their day. But I don't know how much of their heart is really in it. They lost their leader and their purpose. Some are thinking about heading home to their parents' houses or a friend's house. For some of them, it may even feel like a divorce. The person they thought they were, the, the, the person they thought they had committed a lifetime to turned out to be different. I think there's a level of grief for them beyond just the loss of a friend. This loss is different. They saw this man raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him heal lepers and the blind, and yet he just let the Romans kill him. Why didn't Jesus stop them? Why didn't the Father stop them? If God is so strong and powerful, why did Jesus have to suffer and die? And then, it is the first day of the week. And the women go to the tomb because the men had given up. And the women see the angel and the stone rolled away and they bring good news. Evangel, the root of our word gospel. Evangelist, good news. He is risen. 
They bring good news, but this, this news is not greeted with a party or a bunch of Easter eggs in, in pastel colors. Peter runs back and confirms something is going on, but they are still unsure. And that is when the gospel reading for today starts. The disciples are in the same room in which they share the Last Supper a few days before. It is still Passover. They are still telling the story of the Exodus and God saving the Hebrew people from Egypt. They might sing the song, Dayenu, it would have been enough, which recounts all the deeds that God did to save the people from slavery and how if God had only stopped at one point, it would have been enough. It starts, had he taken us out from Egypt, it would have been enough. Had he delivered judgments against them, it would have been enough. And on and on, the great song shows that God does not do the minimum. We must remember this when thinking about faith. God isn't interested in us doing the least possible thing to be a Christian. So that is oftentimes how we frame it. I must confess, I do that sometimes. I've shared this story before about when I was a freshman and I read the Bible cover to cover and I thought like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take my faith seriously. Uh, My discipline was that I would read a chapter, at least one chapter every night. But some nights are harder than others. And so um, on those harder nights, I would read Psalm 117, which looks like this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you peoples of the earth. For he loves us with unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's it. That's the whole chapter of the Bible. Um, This is actually a longer translation than than I did myself. And so um, it's a different one, but that's what I would do. I would do the absolute minimum. Sometimes this comes out with talk of salvation. What must I do to be saved? Some traditions tell us to pray, pray one prayer and that is all. You don't have to change anything else about your life. Great. I get to go to heaven and I get to enjoy earth. We do it with prayer. What is the least amount of prayer I can do and still call it prayer? We do it with giving. What is the least amount I can give and call it a gift? We do it with presence and service. Sometimes we are conscious of seeking to do the minimum. Most times, though, I think our heart is in the right place. We are just overwhelmed by life that it is difficult to imagine doing more than the absolute least. But God does not do the minimum for us. We see that in the Exodus. We see that in the paschal sacrifice of Jesus freeing us from slavery to sin and death and offering new life. God offers all to free us from sin, even death on the cross. But the disciples are still in the upper room, still saying the prayers and the songs of the Passover. The doors are locked. The doors are locked. It looked something like this because they are afraid of what is going to happen next. And then Jesus teleports through the door somehow. I'm a a child of science fiction, so I don't know how to describe what he does other than teleportation. It probably didn't look like this or, or another science fiction image, if you're thinking, but something funky happened. Then he says, peace to you. He says, peace to you. And he said this and he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, Jesus breathed on them 
Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus offers peace twice. He offers the Holy Spirit. He offers forgiveness, but he does not stay with them. And not everyone is there. Thomas is not with them. Thomas missed out. The others saw the scars. They saw their friend and Lord and Thomas missed out. Why was he late? We don't know. There are usually a lot of reasons why people are absent from things. Even the most punctilious person is late from time to time. Even the old ball coach who says, if you're five minutes early, you're late. Even that guy is sometimes late. We don't need to judge them. We don't need to judge Thomas. He's, he's late. There could be a lot of reasons for it. It seems in the text that Thomas is simply late. Jesus comes and leaves before Thomas arrives. And, and he doubts. Thomas doubts. The text is quite plain, so we don't need to read it as a, as a haughty doubting, as a ha-ha-ha. Thomas doubts. He's unsure. He didn't see it. All the others saw it. They all saw him. Thomas didn't see it. A lot has happened in a few days. It is a lot to take in. A lot has happened in a few weeks in this world at Berkeley. A lot has happened in three months in the world. I remember reading an article on January 7th about a pneumonia outbreak in the Wuhan province of China and thinking, wow, that's pretty bad. And last week, mass graves were dug in New York because of all the bodies. Refrigerated trucks were positioned outside hospitals because hospital morgues are not equipped for the number of dead. The world around us feels somewhat like Jerusalem in those first days. And sometimes I feel a little like Thomas. I know what Jesus said. I know what God promises. My family has been healthy. My friends have been healthy. The hardship, in many ways, is elsewhere. You say you saw Jesus. You say you saw God move. I want to see it too. I want to see it. I want to see it with my eyes. I want to hear God. I want to touch God. I cannot touch anyone. There are no hugs or greetings. I'm not a huge hugger, but I miss hugs. I miss handshakes and eye contact. I miss smiling at a grocery store because my mask makes me always look like I'm scowling. I can't smile like this. With glasses, you can't really smile with your eyes anyway. It, it's, it's hard. I miss it. I've always felt Thomas got the short end because the other disciples already saw the scars. Thomas just wanted to see them too. Thomas just wanted what everybody else already had. But then I remember Jesus' parable of the workers in the vineyard, where some start at the first hour and some at the third and some at the sixth and some at the ninth. And then the 11th hour, and they are all paid the same. And at first, this seems unfair, right? One person worked 12 hours, another one hour. We, we should get what we deserve, right? But not in the economy of God. The economy of God is entirely a gift. You are all gifted with grace, not because of what you did, not because of who you are or who your parents are or who your job is or what you haven't done, not because of anything. We don't deserve grace, and yet we receive it. We don't deserve love, and yet we are loved. Thomas wanted to see as the others had seen, but Jesus asked more of him. Jesus asked more of Thomas than the other disciples. Jesus asked if he could believe without seeing. Jesus asked Thomas what God asks each of us, what God asks of you. 
Will you believe in Jesus without seeing the scars? Will you believe in Jesus without hearing the words from his mouth? And then the most beautiful thing, really the loveliest part of life, is that once you take that step of faith, God reveals God's self in new ways. You see Jesus, you hear Jesus, not the scars from the body 2,000 years ago, but the scars on the children of God. You see the wounds of others and in that see Christ's wounds in agony. You see the joys of others and see the joy of resurrection. You see your own joy and realize it is a gift. The amazing thing about this story of Thomas is that it shows that our faith is greater. Ours, yours, your faith is greater. Jesus was speaking to us here and now. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. What are those blessings? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as Paul says. Or as Peter says in the first reading, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. God's gift for you is beyond the reach of the economy or the government. The stock market goes up, it goes down. God's gift remains immense and true, undefiled and unfading. The disciples struggled last Saturday and Sunday. All of us have struggled over the past month. All of us have faced challenges, some new, some the same in a new way. But God's gift is here, independent of the social order, independent of pandemics and stock markets. Christ is risen. Believe in him. Let go of pride. Let go of grudges. Believe as Thomas did not. Believe as the disciples did not. You can do more. You are loved. So now in turn love. You are forgiven. So now in turn forgive. You delight God. So now, in turn, take delight in others. Do not bear grudges. Do not grumble. You are light. You are gift and blessing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.